This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 23, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. When the FBI starts looking into your activities, it ought to be because of a clear suspicion of criminal activity. That's definitely not the case with Concerned Women of America. That conservative group has been subject to FBI snooping without any apparent suspicion of criminality. Cato's Patrick Eddington explains why that matters. You have been engaged in a project to uh, research and understand more clearly the nature of government surveillance of civil society groups, of other groups, certain uh, high-profile individuals, other low-profile individuals who nonetheless have the potential for great impact. And the feds, in, in undertaking this surveillance, sometimes without any real suspicion, they have then needled these groups or uh, bothered them in some way in in ways that are uh, untoward and uh, not appropriate. So what is the latest example here? Well, it, to be fair, uh, you know, this has been a phenomenon that has largely throughout history been targeted at folks uh, on, on the left, but uh, not exclusively. And very recently, uh, we got confirmation of that fact when the FBI, to my astonishment, actually turned over uh, a redacted so-called assessment, and we'll talk about what that means in a moment, an assessment that was uh, run against the Concerned Women for America, one of the most venerable, conservative, uh, Christian-oriented female organizations, uh, domestic policy organizations in the country uh, from July of, of 2016, so you know, five years ago. And it was rather amazing to, to read this document and to see that a particular analyst uh, or FBI agent had taken it upon his or herself uh, to decide without any criminal predicate whatsoever uh, to examine with the possibility, and this is the phrase from the document, the possibility that concerned women for America was engaged in some kind of fraud. And they proceeded to essentially use a, a charity navigator score. And for those of you who uh, are, are into giving uh, to nonprofit organizations, you're probably familiar with charity navigator. Uh, basically trying to cue off of the Charity Navigator score, as well as some uh, uh, sources of information that the FBI has chosen to withhold from us uh, that were so-called red flags uh, of alleged or suspected uh, embezzlement or something along those lines. And then they went in and apparently searched some additional uh, FBI databases that they chose to redact the names of. Uh, and actually found absolutely no derogatory information whatsoever on the organization and therefore decided that they would not proceed to the next level, uh, which would have been a preliminary investigation. And the point of the whole exercise here is this. They should never have done it in the first place. Nobody came to the FBI and said, hey, Concerned Women for America, I've got dirt on them. They're, you know, they're embezzling money or they're, they're lying to their supporters. They're lying to their contributors. None of this, none of this was the case. And what we should draw from this essentially is a giant concern. Uh, if you are with a nonprofit anywhere, if you're involved in a nonprofit, if you work for a nonprofit, if you're on the board of directors of a nonprofit, you should be deeply concerned that the FBI has people with enough time on their hands to cruise through databases, just literally looking for things to do to potentially target your organization in the absence of a real criminal predicate. So this is a big deal. Uh, as is our policy at Cato, we brought this to the attention uh, of Penny Nance, the CEO of Concerned Women for America. We did that before we went public with this information. 
Uh, and uh, she has since put out a blistering op-ed on foxnews.com uh, thanking Cato for what we're doing, but also denouncing the FBI for this kind of activity and, and raising a lot of the same fundamental concerns that I've just raised. One of the other issues here is that the right, the especially the, the more Trumpy right, believes that there is a deep state conspiracy uh, specifically against them and their preferred uh, candidates, uh, particularly the the candidate for president of the United States in 2016 and 2020. And this should do, will do absolutely nothing to allay any of those concerns. In fact, they, they validate them to to some extent. I don't think there's any question of that. And of course, you know, we're, we're announcing all of this, we're bringing this to the public's attention, you know, after this major league uh, series of news cycles with, uh, with Tucker Carlson making claims about uh, NSA surveillance of him. Uh, I, I think a key difference in this episode is that we actually have the documents. You know, we, ha- we actually have the, the hard evidence. That is not to say that Mr. Carlson's communications um, were not necessarily intercepted, you know, because of the very nature of the global communication system. Uh, if you make a telephone call from Washington, D.C. and you're trying to reach somebody in Atlanta, it is entirely possible that that call will be routed through London or somewhere else in Europe or maybe even Asia uh, before it actually gets to its intended recipient. And because of the nature of, of national security agency collection methods, it is entirely possible that those kinds of communications have been uh, intercepted. So while I'm not going to offer you know any kind of, of specific uh, definitive pronouncement about Mr. Carlson's claims. What I am going to say is that all of these episodes that we have spent so much time talking about on this podcast uh, and and elsewhere throughout the in- entire Cato organization over the last decade plus only underscore why we need in the year that will mark the 20th anniversary of the passage of the Patriot Act, effectively a church committee 2.0 to examine all these things, to find out what is true and what is not true. So detail for us some of the other uh, things you've learned in undertaking this sort of big and also deep project of evaluating the the methods, the manner, and the predicates for government surveillance of civil society groups. I think you know one of the most alarming things uh, about this entire process that we've undertaken in the last two and a quarter years so far is really coming to understand just exactly how much oversight of these agencies and departments have, has completely atrophied in the last 20 years. Um, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't fall to organizations like Cato or the ACLU or any other civil society organization to have to try to essentially go after uh, records on every civil society organization that the FBI may have looked at, the Congress ought to have done this. They should have been doing it a long time ago. And I think for me, at least, that is one of the more you know damning things uh, and angering things fundamentally uh, is Congress not doing its job here. Uh, it's not like an awful lot of this kind of data hasn't been out there for a while. We've, we've managed to get more specific, I think, than almost any other organization. Uh, certainly in the, in the post 9-11 era, I definitely believe that. Uh, but you know, we are like everyone else forced to use the tools that are available to us. And the Freedom of Information Act, um, because Congress has not been aggressive in really reforming it and reining agencies' ability to withhold data in, um, 
we we continue to have to struggle, and that's why we have about 15 cases. Uh, Cato does uh, Freedom Information Act cases active in the D.C. Circuit right now because of the obstructionism that we're encountering. I, I do believe that this problem is big. You know, the New York Times kind of gave us a sense of this a decade ago uh, when they managed to get the government to admit that the FBI had opened eighty almost eighty three thousand assessments on groups uh, in the two year period between two thousand and nine and twenty eleven. It makes me suspicious that the actual number now is probably 10 or 15 times that, but the FBI continues to play games, which is why we have to litigate over this stuff. For nonprofits that have even an inkling that this kind of uh, surveillance is going on and that they are being prepared for an investigation that may never come to pass, what are the steps that they ought to take? You know, my general recommendation is if you are uh, part of an organization that is very heavily engaged in the public policy process, um, whether you are a traditional 501c3 nonprofit or whether you're a C4 and, and you have a little bit more in the way of political activity, uh, or even if, if you have an affiliated political action committee uh, or 527, something like that, I strongly encourage uh, certainly folks in leadership positions to file FOIAs, uh, naming their organization itself, seeking records on the organization. But I also encourage folks to file a Privacy Act request on themselves uh, to see, you know, what kind of records uh, may be available. Um, I I kind of played a hunch recently that um, because of some of my activities while I was at the CIA in the 1990s, that there might well be some records at the Clinton Presidential Library on myself, uh, and that has in fact proved to be the case. There are about 400 pages of material. Uh, on me at the Clinton Library, and they're in the process of processing those now. Um, and the fact that somebody at the White House took an interest in what I was doing, I found very fascinating um, and also extremely alarming. But that's why I encourage folks to do this kind of thing. Uh, if you are politically active, if you're active in advocacy, uh, I don't care whether you're on the left, right, uh, somewhere in between, uh, working for an organization that does functional kinds of, of uh, things, You know, put in those requests. Uh, and if you need a little bit of help, if you got some questions, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm always happy to, to talk to folks about it. Patrick Eddington is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.